everyone, and welcome to OWAN. And thank you very much for showing up. Last week, we began our approach to prajna, paramita, the perfection of wisdom. And we spoke about the wise mind as being an empty mind, an empty mind, empty of thoughts, empty of prejudices, empty of opinions, empty of interpretations, empty of analyses, empty of judgments, and full of wonder. So one of the things that the wisdom mind is empty of is the fullness of all of this discursive thought. But there is a deeper sense of wisdom, which is expressed in the Heart Sutra. And that deeper sense is the insight into the emptiness, not just of the mind, but of all phenomena. That is emptiness or what is often called shunyata in Buddhist practice. This emptiness is the mark of everything that exists. It's one of what we call the three marks of existence, which is anatta, anika, and dukkha. That is everything that exists, anatta, has no separate existence. That is, has no self, has no self being. Anika, impermanence. Everything that exists is impermanent. And everything that exists is somehow lacking in full realization, is somehow in a state of suffering. So those are the three marks of existence that wisdom gives us access to. And, and the central one, what is right now when we talk about wisdom, is anatta, that is, no self. But perhaps more accurately, we should say no separate self. Because when we think of the self, when we conceive of the self, we think of it as a self-contained, independent I, particularly ourselves. And we think of other things also as separate, separate beings, separate things. And a, the wisdom of the Buddha and of all of us is to recognize that there is no separate self in anything. And most significantly in us. And this sense of separate self, of I, of me, 
of mine is an illusion. It's, it's an illusion that exists, but does not exist in the way we think it exists. It doesn't exist in the way we conceive it as existing. And so this is one of the teachings that is most difficult to penetrate, to enter. This understanding that I don't exist in the way I think I do. How do we transmit this understanding? How, do, how can I transmit this understanding to you? I, I really can't. You have to experience this yourself. But what I can do is help you to imagine, like I'm trying to imagine, what that experience might be like. I'm kind of guessing at it. Um, and maybe together we can imagine, guess at what this understanding of no separate self is. You know, Dogen, who is the founder of the Soto Zen lineage, said something very famous. He said, to study Zen is to study the self, is to study the self. Well, many of us know what it means to study something. But in this case, to study the self doesn't mean that you go to the Library of Congress. There's no section on the self in the sense that we are speaking about it. You can't find it in any book, even in special collections in libraries, you know, where you have to have credentials in order to enter this special collection. There's no special collection on the self where you get a key and you look, look at a book on the self under glass. No. Actually, this subject is everywhere. It's so close <laughs> that it's hard to even see that it's right here. And this is where the study has to happen. It's so close and yet we know so little about this self, this I. And so often you hear, well, who am I? What am I? Most people in some time in their life, except my mother, my mother admitted that she never really questioned. I kept asking her, mom, did you ever question why you're here or who you are? Or what purpose? No. 
really, mom? No, it never occurred to me. But I suspect most of us, I, I mean, that's wonderful that she managed to get out of this life without questioning who she was, but I believed her. It just wasn't a question. But for many of us, it is a question that who is this? What is this? It's so close. And what does it mean to say that there is no such thing as a separate self when it, it feels so clear that this is me and that's you. This is me and that's me so. This is me and that's an oven. This is me and that's a computer. Well, you cannot really deliberately study this because you'll just be chasing yourself. It'll be the self chasing its own tail. It's important to be open to this discovery. And I'd like to share with you a couple of times when this discovery, this glimpse, arrived in my life. Really some sort of simple stuff. The first time, and maybe some of you can relate to this very simple experience, I was watching a movie on my television set and really involved in the movie caught up in the landscape in the dynamic between the characters i was really into it and then suddenly the picture on the screen started breaking up interrupting the flow of that movie and interrupting my involvement, my total involvement in it. And, and suddenly I realized this isn't real. This is just a story on a screen. This is just a bunch of pixels, you know, going on and off. And it was shocking. Like, this whole thing is breaking up. It's not, it's not that reality that I thought I was so deeply involved in. Maybe some of you have had this experience. This is what happens when this, the body-mind falls apart. It's not that it's, it's not that it, that it's nothing, right? What was on my screen was something, but it wasn't what I thought it was. It was just all these things going off, giving me the illusion of reality. 
I had a similar experience on retreat. Of course, bizarre things happen on long retreats, as some of you may know. Um, and I was sitting at the, uh, we didn't have Oriyoki, it was a Rinzai retreat, and we, uh, we were drinking bowls of miso soup. And I was sitting at a table with this bowl of miso soup in front of me. And this particular miso soup had, very, it was just very dark. It was dark miso, and it was very dark and, and, and solid black in my bowl. And right above me was a lantern. And as I picked up my miso soup bowl, I saw the lantern so clearly in my bowl. And I looked and thought, there was a lantern in my soup. It was so real. And that, that I knew was just an illusion, but it seemed that all the causes and conditions came together in such a way that I was so convinced that there was something in there. A number of years ago, I came across another, and this was just by accident, an image that suddenly spoke to me of the nature of this self. And I'm going to hold it up. I hope you can all see it. Can you see it? This is a very common popular image of a figure and a ground, right? Can you all see? So obviously, if you look here, it's a vase or a vase, depending upon your preference. And if you see here, there are two, two heads. This is, the, this is a picture of the self. If you, this, this vase, if it were the self, is made up of all non-vase elements. It's made up of these faces, right? And these faces are not independent of the vase. The vase is what defines these two faces, yes? So there is no separation between the forms. And if we went further, we would say that the spaces around this image define these images. So it's all connected. Every form, this is what is meant by form is empty. This form is empty of separateness from these forms. These forms are empty of 
separateness from this four. So you can, I've spent a little bit of time playing with this, going back and forth and considering this image as a way to transmit this teaching. I'm kind of, as a Dharma teacher, I'm always looking for ways to transmit these teachings that are accessible to others and in which I can transmit with some sense of genuineness that I've experienced a glimpse of something which I can share with you. The next glimpse has to do with, and something that I've talked about before, is when I was driving home from the funeral home with my mother's ashes. And I looked down at the passenger seat where her ashes were sitting in a box. And I couldn't believe it. This woman who had such a profound effect on my life, who was such a powerful figure, not only in relation to me, but in her own life. Where was she? Where was she now? Well, there she was. She was. She was nothing. She was not herself. She was something entirely different. She was ash. But in thinking, in considering this further, I asked, well, was she ever more than that? If she's that now, what was she before? And what will she be? Who is she now? Some Zen teachers uh, um, advise that we should all live as if we're dead, as if we've already died. Because there's some truth in that. There's some truth in that. But who is she now? Well, she's my memory of her. She is in photographs that I have, magical things that record someone's image when they're not even there. She's in relationships. She's in stories that my brother and I tell about her. She's in sweaters that she knit me that I still have. She was an incredible, I used to call her Madame Defarge who knit um, revolutionary messages in her knitting. My mother was a 
fantastic knitter. So she is and always was just in all of those non-Hilda <laughs> uh, relationships, non-Hilda beings, experiences. That's all we ever are, really. And yes, there's a body, but that too is borrowed clearly from the universe and is returned to the universe. So that experience with my mother's ashes uh, helped me imagine, glimpse what this no self, this no separate self might, might be. And then just recently, having come back into Zoom, having, getting in drawn, kicking and screaming into this virtual reality and discovering that on Facebook, for instance, you can have an avatar, right? You can have an avatar. An avatar is an appearance, a manifestation. And you can be anything. Right? I mean, even in social media, you could say, well, people can lie. But actually, is it, in what sense is that a lie? Because you can manifest as anything and be out there in the world as Bugs Bunny. <laughs> or, or you can be a lotus flower. Or you can be a watermelon. Or a rock star. You, you can be anything you want to be. We, we really don't have any fixed selves. In a way, we're all just avatars. <laughs> we manifest in so many ways. I used to call them post-its, you know. You, you know. There are lots of metaphors here that we can use. Our selves, selves are fluid fluid. We can also talk about discontinuous identity. We think there's an illusion that we think our identity is continuous from birth to death. It's like when you're um, making a, a, um, a circle with a flashlight or a, a, um, uh, a sparkler. And it looks like there is a real circle there. But 
it's only an illusion that you've created by moving very fast. And so the illusion, if you look at a picture of yourself as a baby and look at a picture of yourself now, where's the identity? It's in a story maybe. So there's the story of self that we attach to. No, no story, no self. No self, no problem. So some glimpses of the deconstruction, the falling apart of separate self, of the I, the me, the mine. Some glimpses. But when I say no, no self, no problem, how does this glimpse of no separate self, how does this bear upon our everyday life? How does this affect how we live our lives? This is really what Buddha was interested in, not, not all this theoretical stuff but how we actually live and how we behave in the world, how wisdom becomes compassion, how wisdom informs compassion in the world. Well, this glimpse, this wisdom, it does not make you smarter than anybody else. It doesn't make you more clever than anybody else. It doesn't make you better than anybody else because you've seen this. It doesn't give you any authority or any credentials at all because you've seen this. But what it may do is liberate you from suffering. And it may liberate others, which is why it's so important that the Bodhisattva train in wisdom, cultivate wisdom, because it frees you from unnecessary suffering and it frees others as well. <clears throat> One of the things that enables you to experience is growth, change, and spontaneity in your life. If you don't have a permanent separate self that you have to defend, protect, and maintain, then everything is possible. And you can act without the need to check in 
with whether you've been consistent. <laughs> Don't have to be consistent. What is it that um, Walt Whitman said? He said, I contradict myself. So I contradict myself. I am wide. I contain multitudes. That's Zen logic. I contradict myself. I am not a, a solid self. I change. I move. I'm fluid. I don't have anything but a story that holds me together. <laughs> and I value your story, but know that it's just a story. It's just a story you've created that will wind up maybe back in the earth with another story happening from there. So here is another glimpse of what no self, no separate self. I was serving tea at Jokoji Zen Center where I practice and teach sometimes. I was in the tea space and I had invited my guiding teacher, Michael Shoho, to tea that day. And my teacher has a habit of not showing up. It's very much in what we call the cloud lineage. <laughs> uh, our, our lineage holder, Kobanchino Roshi, um, is cloud phoenix. Our, our lineage is the cloud phoenix lineage. And Coben was known to be a cloud. <laughs> he would just kind of show up and then not show up and just like a floating cloud. Well, my teacher inherited that characteristic of our lineage. And I sat in the tea space waiting, waiting, waiting for him to show up for tea. And I had prepared everything perfectly. He did not show up. It was 10 minutes later. But what did happen was that Jokoji is located in the middle of thousands of acres of open space in California. And often people wander into Jokoji when they really shouldn't uh, because it's private property. And they just kind of wander around. Well, at that, that particular day, there were two teenage boys who I think were up, they were being mischievous and they had, were trespassing and they were apparently looking around the place uh, for mischief. And they opened the door to the tea space and peeked in. And I said, come on in for tea. Where I, I could have said, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be on this prop, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, they came in and I served them tea and we had an absolutely wonderful tea experience. And after they left, I thought, yes, I had a glimpse of the spontaneity that was not protecting this, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a ceremonial tea person and I don't, you know, I don't let people in unless they've had a reservation and these guys, they're just teenagers, what would they know? Uh, and anyway, they're trespassing and I should take some, no, it was, come on in and let's have some tea. And they got introduced to the tea ceremony. Well, you could say I'm kind of pretty proud of myself, but it was like, yes, I learned something from these teachings. I, I was able in my ordinary life to experience the joy that comes from not being so protective of this self and all the rules and regulations that kind of serve to armor, <laughs> armor yourself against spontaneous action. This is really what it means to be in the present moment. This, this glimpse of no self, no separate self, actually permits you to be fully in the present moment and to be totally spontaneous in the way you live your life.